Brother Eddie, have you ever done this? Use your tablet? Or, uh, you know, I, I'm traditionalist, okay? Very traditionalist. It's a nice experiment. And so, um, uh, let's see here if it works. You know what? While I'm doing this, Brother Eddie is a missionary to uh, Okinawa. I've seen his picture on the GI banner with BIMI. And so, he's got a nice prayer card. And um, they actually look nicer in person than the picture. So, it's nice to meet you. Uh, come and give us a couple of words of testimony, and um, maybe sometime you can preach for us. But tonight I have something I got to teach, and so come and tell us about your ministry and uh, what the Lord is doing. Like what I do. Thank you, Pastor Ching, and thank you, dear folks of Independent Baptist Church. My name is uh, Ed, and my wife LB, missionaries to the U.S. military, and everybody that will listen there in Maranatha Baptist Church and uh, there in Okinawa, Japan. Okinawa is a very small island uh, south of mainland Japan, and there are 14 different U.S. military bases there, approximately 50,000 U.S. military personnel along with their families that could bring their families. And of course, uh, this is public information because uh, uh, you can see it in Wikipedia and uh, online and so on. Uh, me and my wife are originally from the Philippines. I was already a freshman in college when I got saved and um, I'm coming from a Catholic background and one afternoon uh, there's this uh, student that is uh, not from our college that came and he's been talking to a lot of different people and uh, we were waiting for one of our classmates because of his uh, relative that passed away. We were paying our respects and going to the viewing and so um, he came to talk to me and Alfred, my best friend, and he asked us where we're going, so we told him. And then uh, he asked me the question, and my buddy, my best friend, um, Andy, the question, if you die today, do you know for sure that heaven will be your home? And I remembered my answer to him, and I said, um, you know what, uh, I try not to hurt anybody, um, and that was my answer and I uh, tried to be good, but he said, that's not my question. My question is, if you died right now, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? So I said, I don't really know. And so um, he invited us to a college Bible fellowship, and there he opened his Bible, took me to the Romans Road, and after a few minutes, I understood that I'm a sinner on my way to hell, and religion is not the way to heaven, but a personal relationship with God the Lord Jesus Christ, and I prayed to trust Christ as personal Savior. I was 17 years old. And so um, uh, my, my dad was a medical doctor in the States, and then um, after a while of taking care of paperwork, and uh, he earned his residency, he invited um, me and um, my family to go to the States, and of course we said yes. So in 1981, we joined our dad, and I witnessed to him. He said he liked the gospel tract that I gave him, but I didn't get a clear testimony of um, his uh, personal salvation. And so um, after, I after I got my social security card and number, uh, my dad told me I'm old enough to uh, get a job and he wanted me to join the service. And uh, I joined the Marine Corps and then um, did 20 uh, years and nine months. and. Um, while um, we were in Okinawa, Japan, we were members of Maranatha Baptist Church. Of course, in the military, you move around every three years, more or less. And uh, um, when I, I was there in uh, Maranatha Baptist Church, uh, the Lord called me 
and my wife to be missionaries to the U.S. military to go back to our people uh, there in the U.S. military. And so I, um, uh, I, I uh, studied um, through Faith Bible Institute in the church, and then uh, I trained with Baptist International Missions Incorporated. We, were got, we got approved as missionaries in uh, 2001, shortly a year after I retired. And then uh, we went to the States to um, all around the USA to uh, raise prayer support and financial support. And then uh, in 2005, we went to um, back to Maranatha Baptist to train under Bert Steve Nutt as intern missionaries. After three years, uh, the Lord called me to pastor Sasebo um, Baptist Church there in mainland Japan. And then uh, shortly after that, the Lord called me to Yokosuka Baptist Church. We were there for uh, about uh, six and a half years. And then the Lord called me back to Maranatha Baptist Church. So it's a full circle. We've been there since 2017. And we've seen a lot of uh, souls uh, getting saved. And we have a discipleship class through Sunday school for new converts. And we have a discipleship class for new members. And then um, uh, before I left, um, there's uh, uh, two Filipino ladies that my wife led to the Lord during the altar invitation. And um, while I'm here and while we're here in Hawaii, somebody got, uh, uh, bab got baptized and somebody joined the church through profession of faith. And there is a need uh, for us, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, to uh, continue on to um, share the Lord Jesus Christ, share the gospel, gospel tracts, inviting people to church and uh, online, and uh, just loving people word of mouth to tell them the truth that Jesus Christ saves. And we praise the Lord for churches like you, Independent Baptist Church. Without the church close by Halikoa, we won't have a place to go. But uh, there is a need for more churches, and um, we desire to have a local church just like yours, Fundamental Independent King James Soul winning, sin-hating Baptist churches in every U.S. military facility uh, all over overseas. Uh, many of our young men and women in uniform, when they leave their homes, raised in a Christian family, getting saved, involved in the church, but wanted to belong to be one of the boys or one of the girls, and then they stopped going to church. And uh, we've received so many phone calls and so many emails and phone calls from loved ones in the States, please visit my son, visit my daughter and their family. They're not going to church anymore, but um, uh, it is very hard even uh, if when we visit them uh, and uh, if they don't go to church, uh, we continue to pray for them, befriend them. So pray for us, uh, Ed and LV, missionaries to the U.S. military in Okinawa, Japan. If you're ever there, come visit us, Maranatha Baptist Church. Thank you, Pastor Ching, for your kindness, sir. Thanks for that testimony. That was a blessing. Yeah, we uh, know about Maranatha in Okinawa. It has a good reputation. All the different pastors that have um, been through there. Good testimony. Appreciate that. Um, let's see. And you know Bob Smith, maybe. I, I think I've heard of the name preacher. Yeah, little little bell ringing there. Good. Thank you for giving that testimony. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Last week it was an introduction to the book, and I am pretty excited about going through it. This will be my third time, third time going through the book of Revelation, and each time you go through, you always learn something new or see something you hadn't seen before. 
Did you know that there are over 1,000 books written about Winston Churchill? That is from an English historian. I heard a testimony, and it's actually an interview. He said there are over 1,000 books written about Winston Churchill. That's a lot of interest in one man. He was a great man in many ways. Over 1,000 books written about Winston Churchill. Did you know that there's a lot of books written about the book of Revelation? Maybe not a thousand, but a lot of interest in the book of Revelation. People are very interested in the future. They want to know about the future. When I was a boy, we used to see a cartoon called The Jetsons. Anybody remember The Jetsons as a boy? Yes. All right, all you people who grew up on black and white TV. The Jetsons were futuristic things, putting around in whatever high, um, flying above the ground in cars and things. Everything is futuristic. People are interested in the future. Did you know that there's a lot of movies and productions and novels written about the future? There's an interest in the future. People want to know what's going to happen. Now, scientists predict what's going to happen. Scientists sometimes make a lot of guesses, and sometimes their guesses seem to be, to the public, as factual. It's usually not true, but there are novels written, movies produced, and people actually believe that what people write today could be possibilities about the future. In other words, a lot of folk are interested in the future. They don't know what's going to happen, but they hope certain things will take place. Now, the answer, as we know as Christians, comes from the Bible. The Word of God is what will give us the answer to the future. Yeah. And that, that interest in the future never go away. We all want to know. People want to know where they will go when they die. People want to know if there's a heaven. People are afraid that there is a hell. People are not sure if they will have a transmigration of the soul in eternity. People do not know if they will have an experience of reincarnation. A lot of people believe that, especially from the Asian culture and so on. But you're safer, you're safer to believe what the Bible says. Amen. And the book of Revelation in chapter 1 is a revelation that God gave to his son and an angel gave it to John. Revelation chapter 1 verse number 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And so it's the father's revelation to his son who gave it to an angel who gave it to John. And John writes it down. Now I, will, I would like to explain to you tonight that in the book of Revelation, you have... One man on the aisle all by himself. He has been exiled, as we mentioned that last week. And he's by himself on this island. And God gives to him some revelations. And it is called the book of Revelation. And so John, on the Isle of Patmos, a penal colony, he is there and he sees some things that God revealed to him. And in chapter 1 and verse number 18, we have a clue about the layout of the book. Chapter 1, verse number 18. Would you look at that with me? The book of Revelation can be a very terrifying, intimidating book because of the wording, of the symbolism, of the different descriptions in this book. And people for generations, for centuries, have looked at this and come up with all kinds of interpretations. 
But chapter 1, verse number 18 tells us this. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Verse 19. Write the things. John. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That is a clue as to the layout of book Revelation. But there's other things for you to remember, and it'll help you and help me to understand and interpret the book of Revelation in the right way. Now, there are several ways of interpreting the book of Revelation. Now, I will give you one. And this one way is, I believe, an incorrect way. The preterist way. Uh, the word preterist comes from a Latin word which means past. So the book of Revelation, when people read it according to this viewpoint by certain theologians, it is all in the past. It's happened already in the first century. There's no future event coming up in Revelation. It's all in the past. It's looking back in writing. It's the first century. It's done. Nothing in the future. However, John disagrees with that, the one who got Revelation from God, because he uses the word prophecy several times. Let's look at some of those references. And this is to help us to see that the viewpoints that people have, you always subject viewpoints, opinions, and commentary to what the Bible itself says. You can have a hundred people have a hundred different opinions about one statement, but the statement has to be taken a certain way to get the right understanding, right interpretation of a statement. Look at John, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 3. Remember, the preterist viewpoint says that everything is past. But look at 1-3, Revelation 1-3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. It's a prophecy. The prophecy is looking ahead. Now, I want you to also come down to chapter 22. Come to the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22. The wording is important in the Bible, and we do believe that we have the Word of God in our possession, and therefore we go by it and try to understand it and interpret it line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, and so on. That's how we understand the interpretation of the Bible. Chapter 22, verse number 7. 22-7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this prophecy of this book also verse number 10 22 10 and he saith unto me seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book and then look at verse number 18 and 19 for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book if any man shall add unto these things God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book verse 19 and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. Now we'll stop there because the point is the book of Revelation, the book of prophecy. Things to happen in the future. It did not happen in John's time. John wrote this, what, 90, 93, 95, 80, around that time. And so when he writes this book of prophecy, he's writing about future things from his time. It's not a book of the history. It's a book about what will happen. Much of it is. Also, there is another viewpoint about the book of Revelation. It's a spiritual viewpoint, meaning that everything in the book of Revelation is symbolic, it is allegorical, it is 
not to be taken literally. Primarily, this viewpoint is about nothing is literal, everything is symbolic. A white horse, a red horse, a black horse, it's all symbolic. Um, anything that we would take literally in a normal way of reading anything is to be taken in a symbolic way. For example, when I read taking the gospel to our armed forces in Japan, Japan is a symbolic word for something else somewhere in this world. It's not a physical location. It must mean something that I make. You see, I'm interpreting it in an allegorical, spiritual way. But it says Japan. You look at a map, you know where Japan is. That's taking this literally in a normal, common, everyday way. Um, let's see here. Sent up and serving, sent by and serving at Maranatha Baptist Church, uh, Okinawa City, Okinawa. Well, that's really um, to represent Asian people. It doesn't really refer to anything specific. No, no, I take it literally. And that's how we take the book of Revelation. We take it literally at first in the normal way of reading things. And then also common sense tells us there are some things that are not literal and could not be taken literally. So he would just, when the Lord comes back in Revelation 19, out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Well, um, that is obviously not a literal statement. And so many things like that in, in Revelation. And so he also says that the words are given to him and this was signified in chapter 1, verse number 1. He says this, notice carefully. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant. Signified. Signified. Two words. Signified. Signified. Uh, sign. S-I-G-N. Sign. Ify. To show by signs. So God was given... God has given uh, to John things to understand by signs. It was signified to him by signs. He understood things by signs. He's writing things in a way that is, well, you have to think, of course, and take things for what it means, but that is how he was given these things. Many symbols in Revelation, however, though he was given things in, by, in, in sign form, it is not all spiritual. There are spiritual statements in Revelation. But there are also literal statements in Revelation. Amen. So now, when we come to uh, the book of Revelation, we have this particular viewpoint as Christians, as Bible believers. We have this viewpoint. We take Revelation, the symbolism, the literal statements, but our viewpoint, because of the, the context of Revelation, we take it in a futuristic way meaning when John wrote it it's forward to him it's future to him the things that he writes in Revelation many things have not happened yet it's still future to this generation so it's futuristic prophecy 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 so hope you understand the layout of the book now having told you these things when John when John is given a revelation on the Isle of Patmos by God. There are four places from which God takes him and he sees things. John is taken to four places. Why do I have two hands up? 
four places, all right? And these four places are clues as to how you can understand the book of Revelation. John is taken to four places. All right, first of all, uh, the first place he is taken is in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse uh, 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. I should have made this longer. Uh, let's see. 1, 9 through 3, 22. 1, 9, chapter 1, verse 9, all the way up to chapter 3, verse number 22. The first view of Revelation, the first clue as to how you understand the book is in chapter 1, verse 9, all the way to chapter 3, verse number 22. Now, if you would just come to chapter 1 and verse number 11, this is the clue as to the content of the first part where John sees what God reveals to him. Chapter 1, starting at verse number uh, 10. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And we will run through all of these verse by verse in just a bit, beginning next week. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he lists the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Now, the first thing that he sees, the first revelation he gets, the first part of the book of Revelation is addressing seven liberal churches in Asia. He writes to them. They will read what he has written, the book of Revelation, specific local churches in specific places at a specific time. I say that because that's what he said. Now, if you go through chapter 2, you will very quickly see, if you just fly over it, the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, Verse 12, Pergamos. The one thing he lists in verse number 11, he tells you these churches and more details about the commendation and also the rebuke he gives to them. And so that part would end in chapter 3 and come down to verse number uh, 22. So he would end that first part. That first view is about real churches that he wrote to in Asia. That's the first thing. Now some people... Uh, take the churches, as I say, in an allegorical way, and they mean something else except literal churches. They were literal churches that he wrote to. Now, the churches, as we will go uh, and, and bring out later on, these churches can have meanings about a certain period of time. They can represent what it was like in church history. For example, it's very common to say that the Philadelphia church period was the period of, say, the 19th century, if, if we were to think of it and stretch it like that, it was the, the time of uh, great missionary endeavor, a lot of evangelism, a lot of church planting, a lot of emphasis of going on to all the world, a lot of open doors. If we think about the Laodicean church period, the last period perhaps before the Lord comes back, it's a period of people think they have their rights, the rights of the people of the Laodicean. And so we can look at things in different levels, and one of the levels we can see learning lessons is that they were symbolic or representative of a period of time in church history. 
And I think that would be a good thing to, to remember too. But literally, first of all, real churches, real churches that he wrote to in chapter 1 up to chapter 3, verse 22. Now, the second thing, the second view that you want to see is that he comes to chapter 4, verse 1, 4, 1 through chapter 17. A big span, a big, a big section. 4, 1 through chapter 17 and verse number 2. The second place in which John is taken and he sees things and he writes about what he sees from that vantage point. So John's here on the Isle of Patmos. God reveals things to him about seven churches. God takes him somewhere else. Let's see where God takes him. Chapter 4. Verse number one. Chapter four, verse number one. After this, after what? After the Lord showed him some things from Patmos about these churches. Now, after this, verse number one of chapter four, uh, I looked, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. A loud voice, I reckon which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So where does John go? He's on, he's on the Isle of Patmos, and then he hears a voice that says, come up hither, and he's taken somewhere. It's funny how people are. People, when you try to witness to them, if you died today, where would you go? They say, I hope I go up there. And then they all say, now they may say, I hope I go to heaven, but then they say, I hope I don't go down there. They never say the word. You just point out, I hope I don't go down there, down there. Okay, well, John got taken up there. He got taken up to heaven. And he says in chapter 4, verse number 1, there he saw some things. I was, John, The Lord says, come up hither, verse 1, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And the things hereafter goes all the way to chapter 17. Now, if you just flip through Revelation, flip through page by page, chapter by chapter, and come to chapter 17, you will find in these chapters something very horrible, something very, very disastrous in these chapters especially from chapter 6 through chapter 17. What happens is John, John sees, this is really should be looking down here. He sees what happens on earth. From his vantage point in heaven, he sees what's happening on earth. He sees the judgments of God poured out on the earth. There are three sets of judgments um, Trumpets, vials, and bowls. And he sees that unfolding. He sees that from up in heaven. From that viewpoint. So, that's the part that people think of when they think about Revelation. Or they call it the Apocalypse. The Apocalypse is referred to this section here. They may not realize that, but that's what they're referring to. The natural disasters, the Antichrist, the devil on earth. All those things that happen. Uh, this is where it's taking place on earth. Remember, John's in heaven. He's taken up. And on the earth, 
on earth, he sees these things happening. Now, we will, it's really hard to not say what I'd like to say in another lesson, but I'll say it now, and then I'll probably repeat myself again, because when it says, come up hither, come up hither, that represents something that, that symbolizes something that will happen to the New Testament church, to the body of Christ. One day, the Lord's going to say to us, come up hither. Amen. And that will be found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When the Lord comes back, not to the earth, but in the clouds, and we are caught up together to meet him in the, in the, in the clouds with those who have come up ahead of us, those who are in the grave, the believers. And so there will be a union in the air. We'll be taken up to be with the Lord. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, to close that chapter, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherever the Lord is, that's where we will be Amen. at the rapture. So, come up hither is a reminder of that is to come. Now, there's a lot of debate in these verses in Revelation. If chapter 4 verse 1 is the rapture, we would say at the, at, at the least it represents or reminds us of a rapture to happen. But come up hither technically is not when we are raptured in heaven. John went to heaven, not us. Our rapture will come. It will come for real, literally. It will come. Amen. But that reminds us, 4-1 reminds us of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That will be a good day. Amen. This life is good. Amen. But if you live for the Lord, this life is good. doesn't mean it's trouble-free, but it's a good life, isn't it? That's right. Now, would you rather be lost and, and face things without the Lord, or would you rather be saved and face your troubles with the Lord? Amen. You see, it's a good life, but we still have troubles. Right. We still have things to go through. If I were to survey people and ask if they were Christians and if they were to affirm that they were, I'll be happy for that. But then if I were to ask them, is your life trouble-free? Probably no one would say, my life is trouble-free. In spite of what TV evangelists say, that if you're, if you're a Christian, you just ask God for anything, he'll give it to you no matter what. Just confess it positively, you get what you want. In spite of that, we all will have to admit that life is great, but life has its trials. Amen. Life has its fears. I mean, think about your possessions. You'll have trouble with your possessions. Devices. Your device will have trouble. It'll fail you when you don't need it to fail. Um, think about that's just possession. Think about your, your home, where you rent, where you own. You'll have problems with your home. Think about your car. You have problems with your car. Right. You have problems with anything that is man-made. Sure. Think about your own body. This glorious body that is spiritually wonderfully made. <laughs> your body will have trouble. And if you don't realize it by now, well, just um, keep on living. You'll find out your body's going to have some trouble. One of our... He's a missionary with BIMI. As a matter of fact, brother, uh, his, his wife worked in the office at the MI. Um, I had to mention this. The name slips my mind. Uh, Carson Mitchell. Carson Mitchell. Uh, he was a retired pastor and he had a ministry of encouraging churches. He came by our church um, years ago. A real, a real Christian gentleman, uh, very wise, gray haired, the whole thing. And he was just really a spiritual man. But then he had a problem in his body. The odd thing is, he was one of the most spiritual men that you'd ever meet in your life. Yet he had, he had stomach cancer. Mm -hmm. 
He tried many different kinds of therapies, um, traditional and non-traditional ways, and they tried everything that was suggested to them. And eventually the Lord took him home. Um, the, you could wonder from a distance, well, I, I, why did that happen? That, that shouldn't have happened. He's such a spiritual man, such a godly man. Why did that happen to him? We, we, people can have these kind of thoughts. All I'm trying to emphasize that you, this is a great life, but it has its problems. Amen. I mean, you lose your hair. Yeah. You lose your hair. And you lose things, and, and things fall apart. I was running with the grandkids the other day, trying to race with them, and I thought, I shouldn't even try this. I shouldn't even try this. You know, my granddaughter's really fat. She's a fast runner. I mean, she's fat, and she shows them on her face. She does this, and she makes this expression like, and she just makes the funniest expression, and she's a fast runner. I think she can outrun Joseph, the eldest grandson, oldest grandchild. Now I tried to race with them, thinking I'll get a head start, ten feet ahead of them. They catch up to me. Now why am I surprised? There's a hill by where I live, and whenever I go for a walk, I try to warm up and you know work 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 up to it. But then it 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 slows me down. I feel like I'm walking on the moon. It's just. Um, it's age. This old mule ain't what it used to be. And neither are you. <laughs> all right, we're all getting kind of, you know, I mean, it, it, it affects us. It's a great life. It's a great life. Um, one of the greatest blessings in life is to have a quiet home. Meaning it's not an argumentative home. Meaning it's not a home that's always fighting. My upbringing was a home that was always fighting. Uh, number seven of eight, you know, get picked on, get bullied before the word bully was ever uh, invented, um, all that kind of stuff. And so our only recourse was to fight back when we were growing up. And so um, four sisters, they just pile on you. Three brothers, you know, we always have our fights and things. It was vicious, but it wasn't, it wasn't like fun, little kid kind of fight. It was vicious fights. It was, it was you get so mad, you get up with a big nail, you scratch your brother's car because you, you couldn't fight him. But well, you have to get even with him. So you do this. You go out there at night when he's getting a shark. You go with this big, long nail. You go like this. Scratch his car. Two feet scratch on the passenger side. Not the driver's side because if he comes up, and then, you know, so he thinks somebody at school did it. So this is how we, this is how we were uh, living growing up. And uh, it was not a peaceful home. But it's great to have a Christian home because it's peaceful. It's quiet. No shouting and screaming. Um... The loudest sound you hear in the house is when the kids downstairs, they want to come upstairs, there's a rule is you have to knock. And they keep forgetting, you know, this is the knock. They keep saying, what do they say? Can I come up? Can I come up? Well, they're not supposed to say, can I come up? They're supposed to knock. And then I just simply say, come. Come. You know, and my wife's more gentle. She'll say, come. They'll come up, you know. But that's the loudest you hear. There's no screaming in our home. There's no throwing things around. Any crash that you hear is from the neighbors. Any loud noises, any screaming, it's not from our TV. It's not from our home. I like a quiet home. In fact, my home is so quiet, it's like nobody's even talking to each other. We watch TV. The kids come up Friday, they watch videos, and they make it so loud. I mean, they're not that far from the TV. It's from the wall to maybe, I don't know, maybe from the wall to here. And they gotta turn up, Joseph, turn that thing down. I can't hear. What, are you deaf? Can't hear. 
I can hear it halfway down the other side of the house. It's, I'm just used to quiet. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's a great life. It's a great life when they all pack up and go back downstairs. <laughs> because it's 9 o'clock, time to go downstairs. And you know, they're all dutiful. And they, they don't fuss. They don't complain. There's no arguing with mom and dad. They never do that. That's a real blessing. Amen. That's really great. That's a blessing. It's a great life being Christian. Amen. To see to see uh, a family of kids being raised uh, by the Bible. And it's not that it's so strict that, you know, oh, I better obey before I get a weekend. It's not like that at all. Although, when I when I see the kids get talked to, it's kind of funny, but I'd never say that to anybody, the kids. But when there is some scolding to be done, it's never like you see in the mall. Get over here before I, you know, conquer your head or something. It's just real, real peaceful and calm. And then uh, it's something like, and then, why did you do that? I don't know. Did you hit him? I don't know. <laughs> oh, he's got a lump on his head. <laughs> did you hit him? I don't know. Of course, they don't know anything. <laughs> and so it's always a real quiet confrontation. It's never a big, it's never a big scene. That is such a blessing to see. The home is quiet. The home is quiet. The Christian life is great, but there's trouble in the Christian life. Now, why did I tell you all those things? There was a reason for that. Arb, do you know? You don't know? It's something to do with um, earth. Oh, troubles on earth. Okay. Troubles on earth. Um, the future is told from the pages of scripture. If anybody wants to know, they will know the future. There'll be a lot of heartache, a lot of horrible things take place on the earth as John reports it, as he wrote, wrote it down. The tribulation, it's gonna be a horrible time. The rapture will take place, takes on this world, that's what I was saying. We'll leave this world of trouble. We will leave this world of trouble. And on earth, after we've been caught up in the rapture, on earth, John sees the wrath of God pour down upon Israel and the Gentile worlds, and it's gonna be a horrible scene. And John shows it, we're not there. When it falls, we're not there. When it hits the ground, we're not there. All the catastrophes, the so-called natural catastrophes, when it happens in the tribulation, we have been removed from the earth. Come up hither, and we're gone. So John, chapter 4, verse 1, Revelation, reminds us of the rapture, at the very least. I guess you want to ask yourself if I'm going. You know what? I'm going. And it's not because I'm living up to a standard. It's only because, as you know, it's by the grace of God we are saved. Amen. And because of that, so many blessings open up for us. Amen. One of the great blessings will be raptured out of this world. But what a day would that be? You're a bus driver, city bus driver, coming down the Pali Highway, going toward Kailua. Come up hither. He won't have time to disobey. He's just going to respond. Just going to respond. Let me illustrate that response to you um, and how important it is. One day at a state fair or a county fair, a man of seven balloons and he's holding a whole bunch of them in his hand and 
Uh, Grandpa bought one for his grandson, and so he's got a bunch of balloons here. But he's walking, he's a young boy, and um, he gets excited and he, oh no, he lets go of all the balloons on the strings. And they all rise up, they're all different colors, red, yellow, black, green, brown, pink, and a lot of crayon colors. <laughs> it's all going up in the sky. And the boy's like this, wow, Grandpa, look at that white balloon go way up there. Whoa, Grandpa, look at that green balloon go way up there. Whoa, Grandpa, look at that black balloon go way up there. Grandpa says, well, son, what's so exciting about that? Grandpa, how come, how come the white balloon's going so high and the black balloon's going so high? They're all going so high. Why are they all going so high? The boy was associating the color of the balloon to how high it would go. Had nothing to do with it. He said, well, son, it's not what's on the outside that counts, it's what's on the inside that counts. That's why they're rising, because of the helium, see? And so, we're going to go because of who's in us. Hey. Holy Spirit. And so, well, what a day that'll be. Don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But when it happens, it'll be a surprise to a lot of people. Yes. Okay. Now, the third view, the third view John gets in the Revelation is in chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse number 3, all the way to chapter 21. 17, verse 3, all the way to chapter 21, verse 9. So this is the this is the place where John has been taken now. 17, look at chapter 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's see where he is taken this time. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials. And talk with me, saying unto me, Come up hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. What a word to use in the Bible. Uh, well, very descriptive, isn't it? Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So can you see the connection in the words? Verse 1 and verse 2. Fornication, whore. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3. So, so he carried me, John. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting, uh, sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy and so on. So, number three. He is carried away into the wilderness. And there he sees things from that vantage point. And then he will tell you what he sees as he writes in chapter... Uh, 17 through chapter 21. Now let's move on quickly, but I will say in passing, and we shall try to cover these things in more detail. He's in the wilderness, and he sees the destruction of world powers. He sees the destruction of international powers. The mighty will fall. Great nations will fall. Now come to the fourth location in which John has been taken, and he will see something else. In the fourth spot that God takes him. Chapter 21 of Revelation and verse 10, which says, 21:10, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, that's verse 1. Come to verse 10. And he carried me away. And that'll be my clue to say where he goes because of the phrase, and he carried me away. Verse 10, and he carried me away 
in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So chapter 21, verse 10 through chapter 22. That's the fourth scene. 21 to 22. He sees eternity. He sees eternity. He's taken to a mountain and he sees eternity. So from these four vantage points, John sees certain things. And as we go through Revelation, we will take apart, um, not destructively, but constructively, um, try to understand what we are reading in the book of Revelation. And so that will help us to understand the layout of the book. Okay? So I guess you can say tonight was introduction part two. Right. Let me ask you some questions before we finish up for tonight our Bible study. We take the book of Revelation figuratively, symbolically, or literally at first. Oh. <laughs> literally? That's our first viewpoint, and then everything falls into its proper order. Now, what does preterist mean? When people take this viewpoint about Revelation, they are saying they see and understand Revelation that is events of the past, the present, or the future. Which one would preterist refer to? The past. The past. Preterist means past. And so everything's past for them. And of course, we have another viewpoint, which is things are spiritual. Now, how would you try to explain that things are spiritual? Because there are things that are spiritual. But how do they explain the book is spiritual? All of it. All of it is symbolic and spiritual. There's no literal events, no literal people. It's all symbolic of something else. It's almost like Genesis. People have taken Genesis to be not a literal book, but a spiritual book, an allegorical book. Uh, the Satan in the garden represents communism. That's just pulling a rabbit out of the hat because there's nothing in the context to say that. They have just, no, they can't be true. How can a certain you know, they just make void something they don't understand. And by the way, that's how a cult explains things or receives the Bible. They would take a scripture that is meant to be literal, they will make it allegorical or symbolic or spiritual. They will look at a spiritual statement and make it literal. They flip-flopped it. And if you think about the false doctrines of a Jehovah's Witness, that's exactly what has happened with them. They flipped it. No wonder there's a lot of confusion, and yet they're very firm in what they believe. They believe that they're right. All right, and then is this our view as Christians, as Bible believers, yes. that the book of Revelation is future? Yes. That is our viewpoint, because it's prophetic, it's prophecy, it's things to yet be fulfilled. Okay? Now, come back to chapter 1. I will give you this verse here. And before I do, how many... This is so easy. If you don't get this answer... I don't know where you were tonight, but um, how many views did John get of the Revelation? Four. It makes me feel bad if the answer is wrong, <laughs> because it's right there. There are four views that the Lord gave him or took him to, and then he sees things from four different viewpoints. Now let me let me throw a hard one to you. How many churches did he address? Seven. 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 Name one. Smyrna, Laodicea, 
Philadelphia, Ephesus. What's that? Sardis. Thyatira. Ephesus. Ephesus. Okay, so there's seven literate churches and literate places at a certain time that he writes to. They would get his letter because the letters are given to him literally so that they would read the admonitions, they read the commendation, the admonition, the rebuke, and so on. That's a very fascinating study. We'll get to chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. It is so good. It is so good to see how the Lord is gracious and kind to his churches and, and he wants them to do the right thing. And you learn a lot of lessons about the seven churches. All right, let me ask you another question. Number two. What is in number two as far as what he saw? When he's in heaven, looks down on the earth, he sees things happening. What did he see? I'll give you a clue, multiple choice. He saw the earth regenerated. He saw the earth destroyed. A or B or none of the above. He looks down from heaven, view number two. Some things take place on earth. Are these things that take place on earth good for the earth? Or will the environment be destroyed? Well, catastrophes, natural disasters. The earth is going to be obliterated. Um, as you look at the wording of uh, in this portion of the revelation that God showed to him, green grass, the water turned to blood, uh, heavenly, uh, just unbelievable catastrophe. And one thing I learned from all that is the government can't do a thing to fix it. The Senate, the House, the House Senate, Executive order cannot stop anything that God sends. That is just to remind people that we are nothing, and God is all-powerful, we're not the Almighty. And at that time, the tribulation, which we will not be there, we'll be up there perhaps witnessing, we will see the great Almighty God pour out His, His wrath on the earth, justifiably so, and the earth cannot do anything but get mad at God. Just imagine, as the heat intensifies and as things go absolutely out of control and no cause to DC, no cause to the governor, governors, nothing will ever get any kind of resolution, any kind of relief, and they are just so angry at God, they won't repent. And that's the heart of man that's so depraved that they just cannot humble themselves before God. It'll be an awful time. The blessing is we will not be there. Amen. Amen. Um, we thank God we have been removed because of 4-1. Come up hither. Now, something else we see. Uh, the last part, let's just look at the last part. The last part, he sees, of course, eternity. And he sees the New Jerusalem. And it's such an amazing thing. So if you want to know the future, which most people do, interest will never die about going and knowing the future, is to go to the book that talks about the future. The book of prophecy, and you will, they will see what will happen. They don't need to go buy those tablets on the newsstand, at newsstands or the grocery counter. You can check it. They also have these, these uh, magazines, these tabloids. Is it the Midnight Sun or the Daily 
Daily Trash or whatever it's called, um, Expose This, Expose That, and so on. All these kind of magazines that you buy about different people and all the things that go on. I mean, you, know, you can learn about Gene Casey or Gene Dixon says in 2023 the Earth will be hit by an asteroid, asteroid the size of the state of New Jersey. Oh, is that right? And all these predictions, you have no clue what you're talking about. Now, if they were right, it's probably demonic. However, we go to the Bible as our sure source of what will happen in the future. Amen. So you you have in your possession or on your phone, which I use my phone, my Bible app a lot nowadays. I mean, when I'm out and about. But you have in your Bible the revelation of God to man so you will know what's coming ahead. Now, I do not like surprises. I try to to do things so that I'm not surprised, um, but sometimes I'm all surprised. I remember three years ago, back in the other the other room here, I, I announced to everybody uh, something. I said, you know, we should really work hard to not surprise each other. Meaning, if you commit to do something or you say something you're gonna do, do it. Don't surprise anybody by not showing up. Not you know, be responsible. No surprises. Uh, if you commit to something, do it. Don't surprise somebody and say, oh, I thought you, you, I thought you were going to do that. No, I thought you were going to do that. Well, you said surprises. I hate surprises like that. Birthday surprises, that's fine. Surprise birthday, that's fine. Uh, surprise treat, that's fine. Surprise ice cream, that's fine. That's always fine. Surprise ice cream. But um, surprising someone and it's uh, to their detriment or to their harm or uh, it's a setback of some kind because of a surprise, because of miscommunication. That's not a good thing. There's no surprises with the Bible about what's going to happen in the future. Amen. The next thing to happen on God's calendar for the future is rapture. rapture. Now, if I may, one more time, do this. Uh, if this is the timeline, the death of Christ, the Lord went to heaven, Acts chapter 1, in a cloud, on earth, while he's in heaven, I'm not going to say time goes by, but just for explanation's sake, time goes by on earth, and so this would be the church age, or the age of grace, as it is often called, and that runs, you know, from the death of Christ to um, the rapture. Now, the rapture will take place at some point in which the very same Jesus who went up here in Acts chapter 1, as time on earth moves, it moves like that. And at a certain time when the Father says, okay, time to go down and get your children, son. The Lord comes back in heaven, and this is First Thessalonians chapter 4. 16 to the end of the chapter, around or in that chapter. And so, um, the dead in Christ, those who have died, maybe from there, from the cross, church age, they will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. What rises first? What What is rising from the ground? The dead in Christ. What is rising? What part of a man is rising? Bodies. It's not the soul, because the soul went to be with Christ at death. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1. So the body has gone to the ground. So the body that has gone to the ground
We know why he died. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, the body went to the ground, and he's a saved man. His body goes to the ground, and it's dust to dust. And so he rises first. And we will meet them in the air, meet the Lord in the air with these changed bodies. And he takes us up to heaven. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then on earth, we have tribulation. Seven year tribulation. And so while that goes on, time moves on up there too. And John sees John sees that in the revelation. He sees that. He sees beyond it. And so, and then in chapter 19, Revelation 19, at a certain time, the Lord comes down, we come down with him, Revelation 19, every eye shall see him. And that's when I refer to that sword comes out of his mouth. Uh, that's Revelation 19. So that's that's the broad, that's the broad bird's eye view, the flower view of the tribulation. So when we cover these things, we feel sad, but we feel also glad because it is kind of oxymoronic. We're sorry for what goes on on earth, yet we're not sorry because we are not going to be in a place of, of chastisement and, and destruction. We have been taken up here. All this goes on down here. So that is right here. Number two, he sees it over here, and particularly the second half. So that's what he, this, this is here. I hope you can connect that. And uh, we get to come down with the Lord when he touches the ground and he established his millennial kingdom. And so all of that will be covered in uh, far greater detail. So survey number two is done. Next time it'll be, we're going to, as some people say, go a little bit deeper in our diving. But um, not trying to choke anybody with we're not too deep, but we need to, to grow up here and grow in here as well and appreciate what's in store. Okay. All right. All right. Let's pray, Father. But thank you for what the Bible reveals to us. Thank you that we know the future. And even though the revelation doesn't reveal every detail about every aspect, we have enough to know that all is well, because you are the victor over the world, over the devil, and we are attached to you by new birth, and we are assured that we will be rising from this earth when you say, "Come up hither." And we're so glad that we will bypass all that will take place on the earth. And it's all because one day we trusted Christ as our Savior. And that was a great blessing we didn't even know about when we got saved a long time ago. But as we look at the Bible, we study it, we realize so many good things happen for us because we trusted your Son. We pray that you help us to be a good witness to see others come to Christ as well. Bless our study together and help us to appreciate all the blessings we have in Christ. Thanks for showing us the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.